Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas, and welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your host, Martha and... Ashley. Hey, Ashley, how are you? It's been forever since I've seen it's you last. It's been so long since I've seen you last. <laughs> just kidding. We literally just finished recording the last episode. <laughs> Uh, and we mentioned it in part two, but this is a monumental moment in Dear Nikki Mama podcast history because this is a three-part episode. So if you have not listened to part two and part one of Allison's story, we will link them in the show notes, but this is going to be part three. I feel a little bit like a celebrity <laughs> being the first one with a three-part. You are a Which, celebrity. At the same time, I know that so many other NICU moms could have this exact same experience. So, right. you know, yes. like, right. I should. know I'm not special, but I am special at the yep. same time. Amos, yeah, is a, Amos is a celebrity for sure. Amos is a yeah, celebrity. Actually, sure. Amos is famous Amos. That's famous. like this thing. I, someday I'm going to get t-shirts and I got to figure out the whole legal thing, but like I want to sell famous Amos t-shirts for people to, you know, for him Please because do. that's who he is. Please um, do. I think it'd be great. He is. I love it. He's a little celebrity. He is. He's just like a little butterball to me. Like he's so <sighs> mm-hmm. stinking just like, just want to squeeze him. And he's so just full of mischief, let me tell you. And it's the cutest thing. It is he is just adorable. Uh, he said mama for the first time last night, by the way. Oh, I didn't say that earlier. That's I have a big deal. Video. I have that oh video. And it's just like oh, magical. Sweet. It just Boy. warms my oh, heart so much. So fun. Love this kid. Well, man, so we kind of ended part two with Amos had just gotten this transplant. Yes. And so part three is really going to be um, just focusing on life after transplant. Um, You mentioned it already in part two, but it's not just transplant, then life gets normal again. Right. (laughs) And so um, we're really excited and honored to get just a sneak peek into your guys' life as a family and what healing has been like for you. And so... Take us there, Allison. Got it. And another thing is, April is um, National Donate Life Month, which is pretty mm. special to be yeah. doing this episode. So, and I think it's good for people to see what it's like—a little blip of what it's like as a transplant family. Because I think mm. a lot of times the, the public might think like, "Oh, you get your transplant and then you're healed." Mm. And let me tell you, the doctors will hammer it into <laughs> your brain that transplant is not a cure. Mm-hmm. which is very hard to accept, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So Amos had just had his transplant. And so this whole time I am just, my body is just protecting myself from everything that's happening because there's no way to get through it without doing that. Stevie at the time had this pinwheel in the back of the yard, in our backyard, that's huge And sometimes I would look out while I was like doing dishes and it would be spinning so fast that the pole it was on would be shaking. And I would think I'm just calm, cool and collected washing these dishes. But my brain looks like that. Mm 
because I have to just keep going or I'm going to spin out of control. And what happened was Amos had his transplant. I was able to breathe for a moment. And then the day after his transplant, I came to the hospital and I was extremely dizzy. I had developed vertigo, essentially, um, right after his transplant. And it was, it made it so that I couldn't really take care of him, which was very frustrating and disappointing because I just wanted to be there and be fully available. Mm. But I think that that physical trauma response of feeling the relief and being able to kind of feel some of the emotions of what had happened and relax for a little bit. Now all this stuff is like spinning out of my body and, um, yeah, it was it was pretty wild to experience that, but that was kind of the beginning of my understanding of the weight of what we had been going through. Mm-hmm. Um, Amos had a little bit of a complicated recovery from transplant. He actually had two subsequent surgeries in the first week to repair his hepatic artery. The first surgery he went back into was scarier for me than transplant because we didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. It was terrifying, and we didn't know what it would mean. You know, we're afraid we don't want him to lose this liver. It's like, ah, like he has this liver. Like it's going to save his life. Like we need to make sure that he is, that it it works and that it's going to be okay. And we're afraid that if he lost the hepatic artery, a lot of times eventually that can mean that they need to be retransplanted. And we didn't want to know in the first week that like that was going to need to happen. Mm -hmm. So we were really scared. Um, Luckily, we're at this hospital with these absolutely incredible surgeons. Um, Our surgeon did an amazing job repairing his hepatic artery. And when he came to explain it to us, he explained what he would do if he needed to go back, which I was so thankful for because he did have to go back in and do what he said he was going to do. Um, Amos's recovery after that was fairly smooth. We were finally able to get back to the transplant floor. We were in the ICU during the time we're able to get back to the transplant floor. And something that's amazing, that is such a huge part of this. And I have some videos is, and before transplant, a lot of the transplant nurses and doctors will just say like, you are going to get to know your son for who he really is. You're going to be like, Oh, Oh, that's you. Mm. And that's what I hoped. I didn't want to put too much expectation on it because I didn't know what it would be like. But I just wanted to have this like magical transformation of him now being happy Mm -hmm. and playing. And that's exactly what happened, which was so Mm -hmm. amazing. I mean, part of it, I'm sure, was like all the drugs he was on in the very beginning. (laughs) But I had this video of him laying in the bed in the ICU playing with the mobile that was hanging down and his eyes are wide and he was kicking his legs and he couldn't kick his legs before because of how Mm. big his belly was. And he was just smiling and like babbling, which is what he had never done before as well. Mm. And also his color immediately started to change. Mm. And I watched his labs. I mean, he's constantly getting labs like multiple times a day. He still has a central line and all that. We're watching his numbers very closely. His bilirubin, dropped so quickly and I remember them describing during transplant you know connecting so they make a bile duct essentially the same way that they do with the Kasai procedure and um him describing the bile draining and how it was working now and like that was just such a cool thing to think about like okay like this is what we've needed this whole time and now 
you know, oh, like this relief. And he's, you know, he's pale pink now. He's not yellow anymore. I can finally not feel guilty for buying him all these like yellow and bronze. (laughs) (laughs) He had this blanket in the NICU. And I know you guys probably know, but maybe you don't, but it was the one that covered his isolate. And it's um, like, it's a swaddle, but it's a blanket. It's like kind of a mustardy yellow with suns (laughs) on it. And it was like the same color as him for a while, but I love it so much. And so, so glad to finally like, Oh, like now, like I can put this next to him and it doesn't like shock me anymore. Um, he was able to get his NG tube put back in and able to tolerate food now. So he came off TPN. Um, and so we just had to work on post-transplant to, to discharge. You're working on gaining weight. So he's, has not gained weight for months now, basically. Um, he was eight pounds post-transplant. And which, how old was he at that point? He was like six months adjusted, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and so his liver was four pounds. And also he had so much fluid. When they had done paracentesis pre-transplant, they took out 500 cc's of fluid. And his belly was still big after that. So a lot of other stuff going on in there. He was tiny. So he needed to rapidly gain weight. So, you know, we're basically force feeding him through the NG, but we had to slowly get back into that. We're also trying to bottle a little bit to kind of get him back into doing that. Uh, And then when your child has a transplant, you have to take transplant classes before you can be discharged Mm. home. So on the transplant floor, they have to teach you about how to care for your child now that they are a transplant patient, which is kind of wild mm-hmm. uh, because it's like, well, this is my baby. I should know how to take care of him. But like, no, you kind of don't, <laughs> you kind of need to know these certain things. Like, um, I laugh that when infectious disease came and talked to us, I wanted to ask her like, so where do we get the bubble? <laughs> because they're like, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. And this kind of bacteria lives in ponds and lakes so he can never really swim in a pond or a lake and make sure Ever that... or like right away. So he cannot go in a pond or a lake wow. until he knows to not swallow the water. Okay. Wow. Listen, uh, and if he ever has, to do that. If he ever has a cut or anything, sure. absolutely not. Like sure. he can never do it. Um, he can't wow. touch reptiles. He's a little boy. He can't like go around and pick up frogs or anything like that. He, we have chickens in our backyard, which is very nerve wracking. I never let him walk around in our backyard Mm because right now they're kind of like a little bit free range. We need to figure out a situation for them because they poop everywhere. And of course that's all full of germs. So now I've become a complete germaphobe for good reason. But Mm -hmm. you know, because uh, he's like, his body isn't going to fight those germs and they need you to know that. So you're getting all this information pounded into you. And he was also on multiple medications. I can't remember exactly how many we came home with. And then we were also coming home with the NG and like dealing with that. And he came home, we were giving him sub- subcutaneous injections twice a day for um, blood pressure to help that hepatic artery to help keep it open. So we had to be trained on that and get all the equipment to come home with it. He's on so many meds and they have to, before he could be discharged, kind of get his immune suppressant drug into a good range. So um, Mm -hmm. they want it to be at a certain level post-transplant. He's also on steroids. It's just wild. There's a lot going on after transplant. You're like just... It's, it's, 
overwhelming to be doing all of these things and be this is like your crash course introduction into transplant life and really understanding that transplant is not a cure that you are now managing essentially a chronic illness um that's kind of the best way to describe it so Amos was on so many meds he's got his NG he needs to gain weight um he finally came home which was just like amazing and one of the best things was the moment I saw it click in Stevie's brain that her brother was different Hmm. and it was like now she got to be a sister um now like when he left I think or something he played a little bit with her and she experienced that and it was like this light went off that like oh he wasn't always going to be like that it was just so magical Hmm. um it was uh Post-transplant life is is extremely stressful roller coaster. Yeah. For some, it can be fairly straightforward. You are constantly going for labs and getting the blood drawn to check their liver levels and to check the immune suppressant level to make sure it's in range. Um, however, and that's kind of standard. <laughs> for Amos, he had some other issues that came up that we were dealing with. So he was transplanted in May. We were inpatient from, yeah, end of March through April, came home in June. Amos was hospitalized every single month from then until this year. The only month he was not hospitalized was February, but he did go to the ER once then. Mm-hmm. So I can't say, like, he didn't sleep over, but he did have to go to the ER. Um, Amos, we there were a lot of different issues with his liver numbers. Um, we ended up, he had a biliary drain placed for a few months. So he had to have a drain that would help the bile drain, um, to, and to, because the, the bile duct was kind of like narrowing. So they had to put a stent in to open it up. And that kind of has to stay for a while until they feel confident to take it out that it's going to be able to do its job. So we're dealing with this drain and we feel like we've just got this medical complex here at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, His feeding journey was very stressful, very complicated. He came home on the NG. He did have one bout of rejection. And something I want to be clear about with rejection is when people who don't know about transplants hear the word rejection sounds very scary. Like you need a new transplant. That's not true. They really need a new word for it. It's very manageable. Um, And so he had to be on steroids again and for a long three month taper. And that made him very hungry, which was great because we got him off the NG. But then once those started to wean down, he also got sick around that time and we had to end up putting the NG back in because he had now developed a bottle aversion because I was basically force feeding him because I was so afraid of putting the NG back in, which jokes on me, it made it happen anyway. He has a very high hydration limit every day because um, the immune suppressant drug is also very harmful for your kidneys but it's the best thing that they have. There's no other option. So you have to stay very well hydrated to keep your kidneys safe. So I'm always so conscious of how much he's drink mm-hmm. throughout the day. Uh, we um, eventually paid for a specialist to help us <clears throat> with his bottle aversion. And thank goodness that 
worked really well and we were able to finally get rid of the NG and um, it's still been a struggle, you know, because he's, he's a kid. He's a baby. He's, I mean, he's a toddler now. I keep saying he's a baby, but he's a toddler now. You know, sometimes they don't want to eat as much. And for most people that can feel normal and okay. And, you know, we can kind of let it pass. But I have a lot of PTSD from feeding Amos and having to place the NG tube in him myself and being always constantly so afraid of them having to put it back in and have him needing to go to the hospital for fluids. And like, so I, that's something I deal with a lot and it's taken me a lot to get to a place where like, if he has a bad day, it's okay. <laughs> I, I need to, I have to like manage my um, worry surrounding that, but that was a huge part as well. Post-transplant and uh, yeah, just constant, in and out of the hospital. He had been drawn, his labs had been drawn at least once a week for months. I think that there was maybe once post-transplant that he went two weeks between labs, but then things got worse and he was being drawn twice a week. We were constantly chasing this, the immune suppressant he's on is called Prograft. We're constantly chasing the Prograft level or something else. Other, so many things keep coming up, kidney issues, you know, whatever, where there's just like so much to manage. It's, it's very overwhelming and complicated. And, and then anytime he gets a fever, so Amos's fever threshold for at the very least calling the doctors, but since he's so recent, been transplanted so recently, most likely an emergency room trip is 100.4. So if he has a fever of 100.4 or higher, we're pretty much guaranteed to have to take him into the hospital. So, you know, that like this happens. It's cold and flu season. Like he has there's a just so many. Yeah, he has a sister. He we exists don't she doesn't in the do world. anything. Right. Yeah. He exists in the world. Like he's a baby. He teeths. Yes. He you know, he when he gets his shots, he got shots once and then had a fever right after right. and ended up being in the hospital for like three days after that. I don't know. And then we were admitted again like two weeks later. So it's it is a roller coaster. It is the best way to describe it because it's you just want it to be, okay, he got a transplant and now he's gonna get better. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't feel like that right away, at least not for us and not for a lot of yeah. other transplant families. There are so many complications that can happen. Rejection can happen at any time. Um, or every time he has labs drawn, I am always so anxious and I'm like refreshing the portal over and over and over again to check his levels because I'm like just so nervous about what they're going to be and what that's going to mean. And unfortunately, when they're bad, every single time, I'm always right. Like, Mm -hmm. I know I'm not supposed to read levels and predict what's going to happen, but I have been around this block long enough and experienced enough that I know when a certain number is high or how high it is that he's going to need to be admitted and this might be the problem and they might want to do this. And almost every single time, I'm exactly right. And that is what ends up happening. So it's frustrating, but it's... um, Yeah. And then we're also, you know, we're still in a pandemic and Amos is highly immune compromised. Uh, He's not just, you know, fragile. He is actively immune compromised. His immune system is being actively suppressed. Um, How I explained it to Stevie, because, you know, we don't do a whole lot. We are pretty much, our family is pretty much still in like the beginning stages of quarantine 
for COVID, which, you know, someday it won't be like that for us, but it is what it is for now. Um, sometimes, you know, I'll take CB to the grocery store and we wear our masks and she's so great about it, but I try to help her, help her understand why we have to be so careful for Amos. And the way I explain it to her is the protectors in his body might want to fight his new liver because it, it wasn't the one he was born with. So we have to put them to sleep with the medicine, but when they're asleep, that means they can't fight anything else. They can't fight other germs. And, um, so she is amazing and she understands and all that. And she's like, so good. (laughs) She's like, she, my dad was over once and he had like a little bit of a residual cold. She was like, Poppy, you need to go put a mask on right now. You must (laughs) can't have your germs. And she's so, we were at the playground once and he was on the baby playground by himself. And like a dad and his son came over and she goes, Hey, hey, baby over here, you can't play here. <laughs> Which like I hope that like doesn't become this thing where like she's so nervous about anyone being around him, but at the same time, right now it's kinda nice. Um, it's, yes. <laughs> but she's very she's like very aware of that. So yeah. So, you know, one thing that we've heard um as kind of a theme with medically complex moms is this like reality that you're not only just a mom, but you're mm-hmm. also a nurse. You're also advocate. You're also the primary caregiver and that kind of thing. So yeah. I wonder like in your guys' journey, like how do you, how do you protect that part of yourself that is just mom? You know, like what do right. you do with Amos that brings you back to like, I am Amos's mom. Right. I may also be his caregiver, but mm-hmm. I'm, I am his mom first. You know, what do you do and how do you protect that title for you? So I'm going to be honest. Uh, I have not, it took me a very long time to feel like that. Hmm. A very long time. Uh, post-trans, pre-transplant, I felt like he he wasn't himself. He was so sick. I wasn't able to do any typical mom things with him. I gave up pumping during that time, which meant I fully gave up on the hope of ever being able to breastfeed him, which Mm -hmm. was something that I always really wanted, but I had to let go of that, which was really hard. Uh, So all of these things that ways that I bonded with Stevie baby wearing Mm -hmm. was huge for me. I couldn't baby wear him pre-transplant because his belly was so big. He was very uncomfortable. Um, His, his, babyhood has looked so different from hers in the way of being able to bond. And then he was miserable pre-transplant and then post-transplant, the emotional roller coaster of constantly being in and out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, dealing with different things like the NG feeding and all of that was so stressful that I, as much as I was so happy that he was here and he was mostly healthy and he was different and he was able to do all these things, I didn't really feel like I got to connect with or enjoy him for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of, it seems harsh to say, but that's the way that it was. Um, You know, and, and the other thing is that we, uh, for the longest time, really only very recently has it felt like, it's not this way, but pretty much anything we were running by his transplant team. Um, you know, and I felt like I had to ask them about everything with him Mm. and I felt like he was my baby, but he also was like their baby (laughs) too. And that I had to know how to best take care of him through them Mm -hmm. and ask them permission for, 
can we do this with him or what should we do about this or, you know, whatever. And like, and you know, we're constantly talking to the nutritionist and trying to get him to eat more and like feeling a lot of pressure around all of it. And it was just not enjoyable. Um, it didn't, none of it felt normal or relaxing. It was just very stressful and it felt all very medical just and constant giving him medication all day. I mean, he was on so many meds that we were just like giving him meds all day, do injections for a while, like all of this stuff. It, all of it just felt so medical that it took a while to really feel like I could connect with him. And I can't really say when that changed over. I think it's something that is still happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Amos started to grow a little bit more of his personality and like give a little bit more back. Not that he has to, you know, he doesn't need to give me anything. Like that's not his job. But once I felt like we had more of a connection and we could do things with him, it started to grow. Like I started to think about doing things that I used to do with Stevie, like reading him books more. I mean, from the get-go, I was reading like six books of Stevie every day. I love reading to her. But it was never something I did with Amos. And I don't really know why, but like there were so many pieces that everything was just so wrapped up into all the medical stuff that I didn't focus on any of those little just bonding, connecting things. And he's also still a preemie. So Mm -hmm. we're like dealing with early intervention and all of that. Um, so I started to do some of those things and feel a little bit like, okay, um, be able to relax and enjoy him. Uh, another thing, another big piece of this is when Amos was born, I was too afraid to fully connect with him because I was afraid of losing him. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like I got to this place in the NICU where I could connect with him. And then that was taken away from me again. And you kind of have to like protect yourself from being able to fully like hope for them and enjoy them and just like delight in them in this way, because you kind of have to give yourself permission to do that because you're afraid that it's going to be taken away from you at any time. And that's something that's been really big for me. And it it slowly is healing. I'm slowly less afraid. Uh, Amos has labs tomorrow. And I'm sure I will be full of anxiety because he hasn't had them for almost a month, which is wild. Like (laughs) I'm so used to him being drawn every single week and looking at his labs and knowing everything that's going on inside his blood and whatever. Um, And I'm nervous that, you know, that will mean that something might happen because it's not like it hasn't happened before. Things are normal. He gets labs. We're inpatient the same day. You know, that's mm-hmm. happened at least three times before. Um, Stevie will ask like, is it going to be a sleepover tonight? And we have to mm-hmm. say, we don't know. Hopefully not. Yeah. Um, and so giving myself permission to enjoy him and fully like be his mom, I think has come with time and with the acuteness of transplant kind of fading, it uh, is a little scary. But at the same time, just allowing myself to know that it's okay 
to be scared, but it's also okay to just enjoy him. Another big part of that, probably the biggest part, is knowing that his life is truly a gift. That Amos is here because of a gift, the biggest, most incredible gift that anyone could ever give. And he knows that. I think he knows that because Mm -hmm. Amos um, is just so joyful. He's so curious. He wants to do everything. He really just wants to embrace life to the fullest. And it's so amazing to watch that. Any little thing that he does is incredible to see after what he's been through and what he, the way he was before. It's just amazing to watch him do anything, um, to just watch him grow and develop on his own without the help of doctors and things like that. And not that there's anything wrong with that, needing therapy. There are a lot of things that we still struggle with and all that. He's still basically 99% just taking formula. You know, we're really working on the solids. It's the whole thing. But, um, and other things like his speech and all of that, um, But it's amazing to watch him grow into himself and to just sit back and delight in his life. And yeah, just to really be able to enjoy him and remember all the things I couldn't do with him before that I can do now and remember the reason why I'm able to do those things just makes it all very sacred. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. I wonder this, I mean, such a beautiful button on your journey, Allison, and you, you articulated so well where you're at in your healing. I wonder as we finish off, you know, this, uh, triptych, this trilogy here, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing maybe what words of encouragement, um, you could give to a transplant mom, uh, maybe at the beginning of their journey, um, encouragement advice for them to, to get them along the way um yeah there's a uh I think that one of the biggest things um that Amos's transplant social worker really because when he was first being re-hospitalized so often it was very Mm -hmm. discouraging and all I wanted was to for things to get better to finally like okay like yeah like his life will never be normal but it will become a new normal. And I just want it to be at that new normal. Yeah. And I'd say, uh, what she said to me was, you can see the big picture, but you need to give yourself small goals. You need to give yourself smaller goals. You know, maybe first you think, Hey, uh, we're able to go two weeks between labs, like celebrate that in a huge way. Um, he hasn't been in the hospital for three weeks. Celebrate that. And, to just celebrate all of the little wins that you get, like they are hmm. winning the Super Bowl because they really are. Um, and another thing is, you know, we talk about healing. And the thing is, I really haven't done much to actively heal because I have been actively in this yeah. crazy situation for a very long time. I still don't have a therapist, um, which, you know, it's just something I'm working on right now. And I um, hopefully have a therapist soon, but to realize that it's okay that I haven't been like 
trying really hard to heal because I haven't felt safe enough to heal yet and to just allow those things to come as they do. And another big thing, something I wrote down is, you know, for a transplant mom, for a NICU mom, for a medically complex mom is to not gaslight yourself out of the magnitude of what you have been through and what you continue to go through. You, there's no, you know, you don't have to think, well, he's here, he's alive. Mm -hmm. I should be happier all the time. You know, the, the way that all the trauma you have been through lives inside your body, it's not just going to go away. Those memories will not just go away. And it's okay to own that. It's okay to say like, yes, I have PTSD. And specifically for me, I had, I think they call it CPTSD, where it's like Mm -hmm. complex, where you're just like going through a very long string of traumatic things. And that that is going to affect you. You're not going to be the same person. I will never be who I was before Amos was born. And I think a lot of times I want to just not be this NICU transplant mom. I don't want it to always be the thing that is like in the forefront of my mind. And maybe it won't always be. But at some point I had to like accept and really um, be proud of being able to be a part of these communities and to kind of own being a NICU mom and being a transplant mom. I never wanted to be either of these things, but I am. And owning that and owning the fullness of what that means and accepting the trauma of what has happened to me and my family and how it will definitely affect my life for the rest of my life um, is healing in and of itself. Mm -hmm. When you allow yourself to say like, wow, yeah, like I have been through a whole lot. And to, with that, do things to protect yourself that might seem weird or harsh or dramatic to other people. You know, I know you guys talk about, like, if you need to unfollow people on Facebook, if you need to check yourself out of this, if you need to do this or that, prioritizing yourself and your mental health because of the magnitude of what you've been through, like, do it, do that. You need it and you deserve it. You know, I think that's just one of the biggest things that I could recommend to any mom. And also get yourself a mattress pad that will fit the bench at the hospital. (laughs) And don't wait until your kid is like six months post-transplant to do it like I did. Because I spent a lot of very uncomfortable nights sleep on a hospital bench because I didn't get myself an egg crate. (laughs) Yes. Um, But yeah. Mm. Um, it's surreal to kind of get the um, the full story. I mean, we see glimpses of it right. through what you share and stuff, but to hear all of the, the in-between that we don't get to see on social yeah. and to hear it here has been just super surreal. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you talked about his coloring, that's what oh. I remember the most is when you would do the side-by-sides. And then yeah. I think, oh, I remember you did a story of like, who wants a picture of the old liver? Yeah. And I asked to see it because I was so curious. Did I send it to you? Because I forgot to send it to a lot of people. Like, you sent a lot it to of me. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I, you were like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. And then I saw it and I just like could not believe it. <laughs> like, I could whoa. not believe it. It was it's shocking. It looked like those like when you like see the smoking lungs, you know, mm-hmm. like those yes. things they used to yeah. show you at school. Like it looked like yep. that. And to yeah. think about it being in such a small baby was just like. Oh. And that at <sighs> the time he was still smiling. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So he had this thing killing him. And he was still smiling. Was still smiling. Yeah. <laughs> just absolutely incredible. Just that just tell tells so much about Anus. And, <laughs> and about he you. is just an absolute <laughs> delight. Um I just I am so blessed to have him and his personality and the way it ties into all of this is just mm-hmm. uh He's just amazing. And, and he's super fortunate to have such a feisty older sister. Oh, my who's gosh. going to be looking out yes. for him. Yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. Playground, putting they on, like, like, like shin yeah, guards. She, like, like, she'd, like, run around and, like, wipe everything down with Clorox <laughs> and, like, you know, be, like, <laughs> stiff-arming kids out of the way away from him. Uh, she would do it, it for sure. She's she is the best, for sure, yeah. She loves him so much. And they're starting to, like – get to that point where they can play together, mm-hmm. which is so magical. Like, yeah. because it's magical to watch, but also because I don't have to, like, be in the playroom and, like, yes, be like, stop yes. doing this. Like, he's a baby. He doesn't – he can't do that, you know, all day long. So it's really yeah. cool to, like uh, – it's going to be amazing to watch their relationship as mm-hmm. brother and sister mm-hmm. grow. And just the specialness that comes from – you know, I mean, there's a lot that comes with it, but just like Amos being a liver transplant recipient, just I feel like I want people to just see him and know that like this kid is a miracle. You know, like you can't imagine the things he's been through, this warrior. And for Stevie to have her brother be that person. And also she is that person as right. well. Stevie yeah. is the real MVP of the last three years, like Amen. just yeah. rolling with the punches and just incredibly just adapting really well to all of it. Um, she's just has done so amazingly well. And just to see how that will translate into their relationship and the way that they grow up will be really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was, I'm glad we did this in three parts. It definitely, it feels like Warranted. we didn't have to, yeah, we yeah, didn't have to too. skim over any of the, the beautiful moments. So, Thank you again, Allison, for joining us and for sharing. And it's just been a true honor to be a part of your journey from the – oh, God, I am such a crier. I can't. Um, (laughs) But to be a part of it from the very beginning has been pretty surreal. Um, So it's just amazing to see your family thriving and um, just know that the sisterhood continues to walk with you. And to any of our transplant NICU mamas – just hearing it from Allison firsthand, a lot of your motherhood journey exists in isolation. Yeah. And so we just want to affirm that, you know, we may not be able to give you a hug in person or go jump into the dock or off the dock in the lake anytime <laughs> soon, you know, um, but we are with you. We are, we are here for you. This is why we exist. And so we hope that you have felt seen and heard throughout this episode and um, see a reflection of your motherhood journey in Allison's. And so... We are just so grateful for the sisterhood of amazing women around the world. And um, thank you guys for being here. And um, we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. 
And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or a private Facebook group. And ultimately, Miniki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.